You're listening to our weekly podcast, Getting in the Word with Stuart Guthrie. Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship of Ridgeville in Early Branch, South Carolina. We hope to grow together with you, seeking real knowledge from the truth, the Word of God. Here's Stuart. Well, good morning, everyone. I hope you're doing well. It's always a privilege to be together as we get in the Word, and I hope that you have had a wonderful uh, week. And uh, here we are Thursday, and we have Getting in the Word, and we are going to continue our study in, uh, uh, in, in the topic of family. And so I pray that you'll be blessed by our time together today. Uh, we are in week three of that, and so um, I pray you'll enjoy it. And so let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll we'll begin to dive into the Word of God. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your many blessings. Thank you for each one here. I pray you bless them in a special way. Uh, use this message to encourage their hearts to challenge them, and to call them to the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for what you are doing in the hearts of each one. Thank you for what you are doing in this country and in our churches and in our families, and we give you all the glory and the honor and the praise, and we ask these things in this time. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. Well, again, if you're joining us for the first time, we we want to give you a special welcome. It's always a delight to have new folks, but for those that are returning, we're grateful for you as well. I see many familiar faces, and it's always good to have you. And So welcome back, and uh, prayerfully you'll share uh, the channel. You'll encourage many to participate and be a part of, of getting in the Word, uh, for we, we want to be an aircraft carrier-style channel that encourages people and then sends them out to to do ministry in their own little world, and that would be your channels. And so uh, whatever we can do to help that, you let us know. We would love to uh, encourage you in that. So we've been working through a series on family. Uh, we began through week one as we dealt with the F in the word family as fellowship. Um, we talked about the koinonia. We talked about the importance of being in connectivity and being in unity with uh, the body of Christ and that we are all part of one family. We are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And so we, we talked about that fellowship as it relates to family. And then last time we met and we discussed the family, we talked about the letter A in family and how that represents affirmation. And we encouraged you and others to encourage, to build up one another in the body of Christ, for that is what is important. Uh, we need to be affirming our uh, loved ones, our family, um, because we live in a day when there is much dispute and much garbage out there and that wants to discourage people. But we as believers and followers of Christ need to do a better job of affirming our wives, our spouses, our children. And we talked about that. And today I want us to talk about the reality um, as we discussed the letter M in family as the morality and family. 
why why choose morality when talking about family? How does morality and family um, have anything in common? What is it about morality that has to do with the family or the family of God? Well, I believe that it's always a great reminder that you and I were created moral beings. Now, I know that seems uh, unbelievable in the immoral culture in which we live, but nevertheless, we were created. Humanity, Adam and Eve, were created perfectly to live in a, a life uh, in a manner that is honoring to God. We are created to not be selfish. We were created uh, to be not lustful. We were created to not be boastful or prideful or arrogant or lazy or gossips. We were created to not be money-hungry. The reality is, is we were created perfectly in the beginning, starting with Adam and Eve. And we were designed to live forever in fellowship with God, with moral behavior. But, but something happened in the garden, and that was sin. Sin entered into our world, and death through sin. Now, did Adam and Eve die physically? No, but they died spiritually. And thus, immorality became an aspect of humanity because through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin. And so sin spread to all men. So we are all encountered the reality of immorality. We are immoral human beings in need of Christ. And because we find ourselves continually struggling with actions that take place, which go against the holy and righteous standards of God, and because we find this among ourselves, we find immorality and godliness and righteousness in the lives of those that are in the family of God. God desires that you and I be found holy and righteous in Jesus Christ, his son. So morality in the family of God is, is very important to God. Um, you could call it holiness. And Hebrews 12, 14, I think it is, says that without holiness, without sanctification, same Greek word, you will not see heaven. You will not even sniff heaven. So being holy has always been a desire of God's heart for mankind, for his created beings. Leviticus 11, 44 says, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Right? Leviticus eleven forty five. I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. Leviticus nineteen. Speak the entire. Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, "Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy." Listen, you have to be absolutely holy. You say, how's that possible? 
the gospel. Leviticus 20, verse 7, consecrate yourselves. Be holy because I am the Lord your God. Isaiah 35, 8, and, and, and a highway will be there, and it will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go on about it. Listen, this is just a few of the Old Testament passages that confirm the necessity and the call of God for you and for me to not walk in immorality, but rather to be holy, for He is holy, to be set apart as Christians. The New Testament has plenty of passages as well that deal with the subject of morality. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 but just as he who called you is holy, so you, so be holy in all you do. First Thessalonians 4.3, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Ephesians 5.3, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. On and on and on we deal with morality, with holiness, with sanctification throughout the Word of God. So if it's important enough to be spread throughout the Word of God, then it is important enough for us to talk about it within the context of the family. Because when we talk about the family, we're not talking about mommy and daddy and children alone. We're talking about a part of the family of God as well. God desires that as his children, listen, in the family of God, we reflect the image of God in everything we do, think, say. And that, my brothers and sisters, is hard work. We need first. Um, and foremost, people to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We desire for people within the context of family to be saved because it's going to change the way mankind operates. Or shall I say, at least it should. Here's the deal. If we want this nation, this world, the churches, your families, to turn around and honor the Lord Jesus Christ, then we must be holy. But know this, without the work of Almighty God in your life, through the saving work of Jesus Christ, you will never be deemed holy and righteous and set apart. Because it is a work of Almighty God through the preaching of the gospel by which you can be given a new heart and a new desire and a new passion and a changed life. It's through the gospel. Because the gospel, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it is the power to save. So if you will, let's turn with me this morning to Romans chapter 6, specifically verses 1 to 14. Romans chapter 6 fits into a larger context 
and meaning. But for the most part, chapter 6, verse 1 to 14, deals with the Christians being alive to God and dead to sin. It deals mostly with the Christians and yet gives warning to the lost. There are a few main ideas that I want us to look at today in respect to morality. Uh, it's really a message, a sermon uh, to the believer and the family of God. It is also, though, for those that have never put their faith in Jesus Christ, and you know who you are because you've never trusted in Jesus, or you think for some reason, somehow, some way, that you can be saved by keeping the law when Christ says that's not the reality, that is not a work of man, but a work of Almighty God. This is a warning and a plea to those that have not yet placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And so maybe you're here. I don't know why God has you here. I hope you're here to grow and to learn and to be encouraged. Or maybe you're here just to spy out and see what's being said. And so you can go back to your little channels and speak poorly of me. This happens, but that's okay. We're going to trust God has you here to hear with their eyes to see and ears to hear. But nevertheless, it is a it is a warning, and it's a plea to those that have not put their faith in Jesus Christ. But before we get started into the text, I wanted to define a few terms. One great way that we can interpret the Scripture uh, to see the words that are repeated in the text. Um, you know, there is a method of interpretation, how it is that you interpret the Bible. This isn't a book you just open and the whims and, and, and how you feel makes you the interpreter of the text. No, there's a proper way to interpret the Bible. There's a proper way to exegete every uh, literature that exists. And the authorial intent is what we want. It doesn't matter what I think. doesn't matter what you think. What matters is what the author intended for us to get out of the text. And one way that we can help can help us understand and interpret the text is to look at the repeated words in the passage for which we are reading. And so we find ourselves in, in, in this passage, as we look more deeply into those words, which will enlighten us more about what the text is trying to communicate. Uh, it's theological term in which we call hermeneutics. You say, well, what is that? Well, hermeneutics is the process and a procedure in which we use in order to understand and interpret the Word of God. That's important. So we take repeated words and we try to understand them prior to understanding the passage as a whole. I think you'll find it to be very helpful as you study the Scriptures because you want to make sure that when you read the Word of God and you study the Word of God and you interpret the Word of God, you interpret it properly, not to misuse it for your own sick benefit, which is the way many do. They they read it, they interpret it, and they, they come up with all kind of crazy ideas that the, the Scriptures never intended. And so they find themselves contradicting other areas in which they're saying, and this, this, and this. And it's like, dude, where did you come up with that? That is not biblical. Well, we need to have a better hermeneutic. We need to understand how it is we are to interpret the Bible. 
And so here are some words that we find within our passage that will be a huge help in grasping what Paul is trying to communicate. And the first word that we come acquainted with is sin. Sin. Seems like a simple word, doesn't it? Nevertheless, primarily, it's, uh, sin is an action by which places you in a wrong relationship with God. Uh, it may express itself by wrong attitudes or actions toward God himself, other human beings or uh, possessions or the environment, whatever the case may seem. Scripture stresses that this condition is deeply rooted in the human nature. Right, very in the very beginning, we are told that Adam and Eve sinned, they disobeyed God. Now, the Greek word for sin is hamartia, it's an archery term, it means to miss the mark. Listen, in order to get to heaven, you must hit the bullseye. The problem is, is you can't hit the bullseye, you can't be perfect because you've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So Scripture stresses that this condition is rooted deeply in the human nature and that only God is able to break its penalty, power, and presence. Now, the question is, what's the penalty of sin? Well, the Scriptures tell us that. The wages of sin is death. Physical? No, not necessarily. It, the result of sin is physical death. We are all now aging, where God created Adam and Eve in the garden, created them to live for eternity in a place, a paradise called the Garden of Eden. But they sinned, and so they, just as God promised, they died. Now, did they die physically? No. They died spiritually. And the penalty of sin is death, spiritual death, eternally separated from God in a place called hell. So it's important we have a proper understanding of sin. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means everyone in the sound of my voice today has broken the law of God. You've looked at a woman or a man with lust in your heart. You've stolen. You've told a lie. Whatever it is you've done, you have sinned and you've broken the law of God. And God has even written his law on your heart. So you know right from wrong without even having to read the scriptures. Now, the Scriptures clarify and exalt the reality of sin, but he has, hit, he has written his law on your heart so that there is none without excuse. So sin is an important word to understand. The second word is continue. The, the, the act of continuing describes the idea of habitual persistence. Okay? We're going to talk about the continuation and the habitual persistence and the ongoing activity. And then we talk about death. Death simply here in this text refers to someone or something that ceased to exist. And then we talk about baptized, what it is to be baptized. Baptism reflects the image of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The use of, of, of baptism draws the idea uh, out that we are dead, we've died, that we've been buried, that we've been raised with Christ in newness of life. It, it's a picture of the death, burial, and the resurrection and how we, when we are baptized, we symbolize that ideal. And then we talk about the phraseology here, old self. 
Old self is the man prior to salvation. Off with the old and on with the new. Remember the scripture says you are a new creation in Christ. What? The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so there is this old self, and it's dead, and it no longer exists to those who are saved. And so the old self is the unsaved man in his unregenerated heart, unchanged heart. So those key terms will will uh, we need to keep in mind as we look through the text. Uh, uh, it will help us as we read the passage. And so let's take a look at our passage today. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 to 14. He says this, What shall we then say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that Christ was that as that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin may be done away with, so that we no longer will be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we've died, dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you may obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you. For you are no longer under law, but under grace. Listen, the first thing I want us to observe is that we see Paul's question. This is an observation. Paul starts out with a question. What shall we say then? What shall we The first thing I want us to observe, I don't know how much got lost there, but uh, the first thing we want us to observe is that we see Paul's question. This is an observation. Paul starts out with the question, what shall we say then? And are we to continue in sin that, that grace may increase? Here Paul is addressing Christian uh, that, that are in the family of God. He's not asking because he doesn't know the answer. No, he's asking because he wants to prove a point. It's a rhetorical question. He, what he is saying is this. What is it then that we should do? Do we as Christians habitually persist 
with actions that go against the holy and righteous standards of God that we may test the grace of God? I mean, if 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 we can sin and God forgive us of our sin, then maybe we ought to sin more so that grace may be increased. No, may never be. Paul is dealing with a people that can't get past the fact that salvation is by grace through faith alone. He is dealing with a group of people that can't separate the law from the works apart from salvation. And so now we have the people testing Paul with the idea that if grace is by grace, then then no one could sin anymore so that grace could abound more. One can live a life that is dishonoring to God, and, and, and the more sin, then the grace of God can be increasingly found more. Well, that's not. Paul is debunking the idea. He wants nothing to do with this pharisaical, works-based, While the question we see here, sorry, I'm having some technical difficulties, uh, unfortunately. Internet in America is no good. Um, but Paul is debunking the idea. Uh, he wants nothing to do with works-based salvation, but instead he desires a lifestyle built upon change with different purposes. And while we see the question in verse 1. We know it's rhetorical. And so he says in uh, verse 2, uh, the first part of verse 2, may it never be. The ESV says, by no means. The King James Version says, God forbid. The, the, it's, uh, now, I paraphrase it by saying that there's no way. There's no way. The Greek language carries the idea of someone being outraged that this idea could ever be considered. Paul wants it to be clear that no one in the family of God, listen, will continually, habitually develop a pattern of sin in their life. He is not referring to the Christian that falls because of some temptation on occasion. Listen, you'll never be perfect as long as you're in this flesh. But the one that has a lifestyle, of persistent sin, it's not okay. It's not okay. The, the one that has a lifestyle of persistent sin that many times has been, you know, justified or even considered not evil is wrong. The, the reality is, is my friends, you have been born again from above, and the expectation as a child of God is that you no longer walk in sin. You're no longer a slave to sin. So I wonder, how are you doing in that? How are you doing in your salvation, your sanctification, your holiness, your righteousness as a born-again believer of the Lord Jesus Christ? You claim to be of faith, that's great. You claim to trust Jesus, that's great. 
But how about the fruit? Because listen to me very clearly. Sin is sin, and it will always be sin, and there's no greater sin than the other. The only sin that will, you know, that's unforgivable is the rejection of the Holy Spirit. But let me remind you to look at a woman with lust in your heart is just as evil as adultery. To, to, to murder someone is just as equally as evil as hating your brother or your sister. It's sin, and sin brings death. Doesn't matter what the sin is. So if you're walking around and you have a potty mouth and you keep cursing, and that is, you know, you're dropping these bad languages all the time, and man, it just, you know what? Grow up. It's time to start watching your mouth. If you are a born again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, watch your mouth, watch your behavior. And when you fail and when you have the problem, repent and ask God to forgive you. But nevertheless, we don't have the freedom. We don't have the liberty. We don't have the covering, so to speak, to freely sin so that God's grace may be extended. That's perverted. May it never be. You see, in the family, many may have justified some act of sin. The body of Christ may have even considered something that God calls evil and considers it to be good and acceptable. Just had a meeting with a couple last night that's joining the church. And they talked about how they had left the church, a Presbyterian church that had accepted. They were trying to bring in a homosexual to be their pastor. The Presbyterian church began to accept homosexuals into the pulpit. And he left the church because he could not obviously agree with that. And then he went to a Methodist church, and they began to have a series on uh, human sexuality and began down the same journey of accepting homosexuals into the pulpit. And it's like, you know, listen, sin is sin. Who cares what the world thinks? The Bible is clear, my friends. And we don't have the right as children of God to go on sin so that grace may be bound. No way. May it never be. Listen, the family can be broken down when sin is allowed and accepted, not only in the household of God, but even in your own family. We saw the question that Paul has. Now we see Paul's answer, secondly. He is about to begin the process of unfolding the truth behind the fact that those that are in the family of God cannot persistently continue to delight and to make light of that which God calls sin. You see, we have accepted things in this nation, in this culture, in this Christian culture that's okay. It's okay to say, a bad word here and there. It's okay to get drunk every now and again. It's okay to watch a movie that's filled with things that dishonor God. It's okay. No, you don't have the right. As a child of God, you're expected to be set apart. And Paul answers the question. Listen, we don't have the right to delight in sin because when we do, we get out from underneath the very goodness of God. And the truth of God is twisted and corrupted. And, and then it's when we begin to see the breakdown in the family. Oh, well, you know, my marriage isn't good, so I'm just going to divorce my wife. Or my husband doesn't 
doesn't tell me he loves me enough and, you know, life isn't great and God would want me to be happy. And so I'm going to get a divorce and I'm going to marry somebody else. And I'm going to have, I'm going to separate my children. It's, it's a breakdown in the family. The devil is actively working in the family, the family of God and the nucleus family of husband, wife, and children. And he is having a heyday because we've accepted sin into our lives. Oh, well, I'll ask for forgiveness. No, may it never be, verse 2. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? That which is dead is no longer, is it? Can I ask you the question today? Have you died to your sin? How is it that one can die to sin? I'll tell you how. They've moved out from the truth of God and have bought into a world system. If something is dead, then it's dead. It doesn't respond anymore. When you go to a funeral and there is a person in the casket, they are dead. They don't respond. They don't move. Their spirit is gone. Their shell remains. Listen, if we find tension, between being saints and sinners. We need to fall on the saint side. And when we do sin, we need to repent. Because there's no one person here today that hasn't sinned, probably this day or this week. There's no one person here that hasn't ever made a mistake. So how is it that we, those in the family of God, can live immoral lives? That's what he's asking. Or, or more so stating, how can we who've already ceased to exist in the flesh that in dealing with sin can live in it? How can we who have been saved continue to be under the slavery of sin? How can we who have been changed from death to life to continue with actions that go against a holy and righteous God and his standards? How is it that we can continue to live that kind of lifestyle when we have died to it? So let me ask you, what are you living to? What kind of lifestyle? Listen to what he says in the next verse, few verses. He says, Or do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ, have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. He's saying this, all of us have died. We've been buried and raised to life spiritually. This is the Christian. This is the man, the woman, the child who has put their faith in Jesus Christ, that he is the only way into salvation. And we have asked Christ into our lives to save us, to forgive us, to redeem us, to make us alive, to justify us, to, to declare us righteous, and to cover us in the blood of the Lamb. Those... have been saved. When you're baptized, listen, this 
the symbol of the death, the burial, and the resurrection. You you are going down in the water as the death and burial, and you are coming out as resurrection. You were raised to life, my friend. Your salvation consisted of dying to the old, being raised to new life. You are a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new have come. Is there any new in your life? Because there, if there is no new in your life, don't be fooled by the enemy. Because the, the, the enemy's crafty tool is to make someone think that they're a saved person when they're really dead in their trespasses and sin. Your life, the way you live it, the fruit of your life will be evidence of a true converted life. What families need is for us to live like that has happened. We need to take in the fact that we are dead to our old selves. Just like Jesus Christ raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too should walk in newness of life, understanding that we are not the same. We are filled with the Spirit of God. We are adopted into the family of God. We blend with the world and the church. And the family God looks identical. That's what happens. We find this breakdown in the family. When it looks like the world, it acts like the world, it smells like the world. Listen, if you walk like a duck, you smell like a duck, you look like a duck, you might be a duck. We can watch ourselves. We can catch ourselves listening and watching and reading and participating and buying and loving and conforming to the standards set by the world. The next thing you know, we're living in sin and not even aware of it. Maybe even it's trying and escalating as we know. We say, oh, it's God's grace. You know, my daughter shared the gospel at the Love's gas station last night after church. And I think she spent most of her time time trying to convince the gal she was lost. Because how do you save somebody from drowning when they think they're swimming? You, You must convince them first that they're drowning. Their life didn't match what they were claiming. He says in Luke 4.12, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. This is how morality is connected to the family. Paul continues, if we've been united with him in likeness of his death, certainly we should also be in the likeness of his resurrection. If we've truly died with Christ, then we've truly been resurrected with Christ to new life. Listen, when you are born again, my friend, you are regenerated. You are born new. You are a new creation. There's no question. There's, well, you know, did I really get saved? No. Are you a new creation or not? Are you dead or are you alive? There's a difference. There's no confusion. That's why you and I, many of us, can see somebody face-to-face for the first time, and you know right away whether they're a believer or not because their spirit 
confirms to your spirit that, that, that you are in the family of God. No confusion there. Why? Because he says in verse 6, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. He, he died on your behalf. He's, he was your substitute in order that our body of sin, what, might be done away with so that we would no longer be a slave to sin. You see, before you were saved, my friend, you were a slave to sin. All you could do, you know, people, oh, we have free will. Yeah, you have free will, but your free will you will choose to sin. Why? Because you are a slave to sin. And when you are born again from above, when the Lord Jesus Christ draws you to yourself, it's not that you love God, but that God loved you and sent his son into the world that you might have life. And he calls you to himself and you respond to the gospel. He gives you a new life and you're a new creation in Christ and you are no longer a slave to sin, for you are now a slave to righteousness. For he who has died is free from sin. You are dead to sin. You're no longer a slave to sin. Listen, I don't know where you are in your walk with God, but those that are born again are no longer Before you were saved, you can only habitually sin. That's important to be reminded of. So let me ask you this. What kind of life are you living? Where are you at in your walk? Are you truly being transformed by the way you live your life? Listen, again, I don't know where you are in your walk with God, but those that are born are no longer slaves to sin. They are, they are free from a persistent sinful lifestyle. Are you free from a persistent sinful lifestyle? Or are you still walking in habitual sin? Because if you're a new creation in Christ, you've been born again. The old is dead. Doesn't mean you don't sin here and there, and there's acts of disobedience, and but is your lifestyle marked with consistent sin? So we've seen the question, and we've seen the answer, and now we see Paul's encouragement. Paul is trying to show us, thirdly, Encourage. We see Paul's encouragement, but Paul is showing us that the things don't have to be as they were yesterday. That God has a greater plan. He says in verse eight, "But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ has been raised from the dead and is to never die again." You see the the encouragement in that. There is persistence in that truth. Never again shall you die. Death is no longer a master over him, and neither it is for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. For death that he died, he died to sin once for all. He doesn't have to keep going back, and neither do you. You have died once, 
You've been born again from above. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, there's no, no need to go back and die again and again and again every time you mess up. He died once and for all. You may fail, but listen, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11, even so consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. We are to be instruments of righteousness, declared righteous before a perfect and holy God. Not because you're moral, but because his he is righteous because he is moral, because he is perfect, because he is holy and he is righteous, and you are alive to God and dead to the old life and sin. When God sees you, he doesn't see you if you're born again. He sees the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. He sees his son because he took your place. He literally was your substitute. He took the payment and the penalty of sin, which you and I deserve, and he was crucified on Calvary for it. Listen, when you sin as a born-again believer, you're called to repent and turn back to God, for you're a child of God, and you're in the family of God. And we need... Maybe you haven't been walking away this honor to God, and you need to do that. And Paul wants to encourage you. Paul wants to encourage you that you're no longer a slave to sin, but rather you're an instrument of righteousness. When you, re when you sin, you repent and you turn back to God, for you are in the family of God. So we've seen Paul's questions, his answers, encouragements, and lastly, we see Paul's conclusion. Now that, that you understand you're in the family of God, you're dead to the old Jew, you're alive to Christ. Therefore, he says in verse 12, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its lust. We have to stop letting sin in. Husbands, protect your wives as leaders in your home. Protect their eyes their ears, protect their mouths, their feet, protect your children. I want every man to listen to me very clearly because I am. I get the emails of husbands who mistreat their wives. How dare you? You coward. You, you, you coward. You love that woman the way God calls you to love that woman, and you start mistreat, You stop mistreating her like she's some kind of second-class citizen. She is an image-bearer of Almighty God, and you protect her, and you provide for her. She is not your servant. She's not your slave. She is a child of God. Man up and treat your wife with respect and honor. And, and wives? Respect your husbands. God has called you to be their helpmate. You as well. Take care of your husband. Be his helpmate. Honor him. Respect him. Give the, him the authority God has given him over you. It works both ways, and we do it not for one another, but for the glory of God. The thief, listen, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And, it, and he's working hard in the family. You know, somebody 
asked me to get married. And I said, yeah, I'll be glad to marry you, but I do six months of marriage counseling. Well, I don't have six months. Well, I ain't doing your wedding. God calls me to do godly weddings. I'm going to treat you like I would treat my daughter. And I'm going to tell you whether I think you should marry this man or this woman based off of our counseling. If you just want to get married, go to the courthouse and get married. But I can tell you this, God calls me to do godly weddings. And I'm going to treat you just like I would treat my child. I'm not going to let my daughter just marry any any buffoon. No, I'm going to stand up and say, no, you be, you need to be a man. Are you a man? Are you able to provide for my daughter, not only physically, but spiritually? Listen, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, and he's, he's working in the family. And it begins before you're married. He doesn't look like a monster, my friend. He's a wolf in sheep's clothes. And I can promise you, he's politically correct. He's got all the right answers. He knows the word of God. Pastors, stop letting sin in your church knowingly. Protect the sheep. Protect your flock, their eyes, their ears, their feet. Stop calling that which God calls evil good. If the world wants to accept it, so be it. But man up and call what God calls sin, sin. And trust it is best for the family, for the church, the family of God, and your family and your home. We have become nothing in our culture. Most people don't come to pastors for help anymore. They go to a psychologist. People see right through the fakeness of the church. But it's time for the church to be the church and men of God to be men of God and to do things the way the Bible calls you to do them. If you got a problem with your brother or your sister, what does the Bible say? Go blast them on Telegram? No, it doesn't. So if you see somebody doing that, you can just go ahead and write them off as ungodly and unbiblical. If you got a problem with your brother or sister, you go to them face-to-face, one-on-one in private, and you meet and you talk to them and you tell them what your problem is with them. Because people are seeing right through the fakeness of Christianity and the church. And it's time we stand up and be the church. And he, he warns us here in verse 13, don't, don't go on presenting your members, the members of your body as sin uh, to, to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Stop using what God has given you as instruments of unrighteousness. Rather, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. (laughs) You are alive. You're you're no longer a slave to sin. But rather, you have the ability to, to no longer sin. And so when you fail, it's because you have been overtaken by the desires of the flesh. And when your desires are given in, they give birth to sin and death through sin. You were raised to newness in life born of the Almighty God, and dwelt with the Spirit of God at conversion. And your members are called to be used as instruments of righteousness to God. We have so much victory waiting to be taken hold of. 
Verse 14, for sin shall not be master over you. For you are no longer under the law, but under grace. You are alive with Christ, not because of anything you have done, my friend, but because he has done everything, because he has done everything for you, and that you have trusted in Christ, that he has been raised from the dead, so you have been raised to newness in life with Jesus Christ. Families need grace. They need God. They need godly godliness. We need morality starting in the family of God. So this is to the Christians. What is it you need to repent of today? I'm not talking about waiting till tomorrow. I'm talking about today. Today is the day that God has given us. There's no guarantee tomorrow. He may come back today. He may burst through those clouds and rapture the church. And it's too late. We need morality starting in the family of God. And we need morality in the nucleus family, husband, wives, and children. And it only comes from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. God is a God of grace. Today, he desires that you leave it at the door. Whatever was there yesterday, let it be yesterday and begin your journey today being raised in the newness of life. You see, the Bible's clear, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that you had this separation. Isaiah 59, 2 says, you've been separated from God. Your sins have made a separation between you and, and, and God, and you need to be restored. But listen to me. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. There's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, that we might be saved. So if you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, today is the day in which God is calling you to be made new, to be born again to be made newness in life, no longer a slave to sin, but rather a born-again child of God, a slave to righteousness. You have the victory if you have Jesus. So let me ask you today, have you put your faith in Christ? If not today, you need to call on Him, ask for Him to forgive you, and put your soul belief in the gospel the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, for it is the power to save. Not your good works, not your good deeds, for if good deeds could save, then Christ, Galatians 2.20 says, he died needlessly, and he didn't. He died, and he said to Telestites, paid in full. Now you lack one thing, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, so that you can walk in newness of life, and that you can have morality in the family of God, and you can honor God with your life so that one day, because you will stand before him, he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Father God, I thank you for today. Thank you for this message. Thank you for the encouragement to live for God, to honor God with our lives, for you've called us to be moral children for your glory, and we ask these things all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 
This has been Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. And be sure to visit us online at familybiblefellowship.org. And come see us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m.